What is real faith? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's a journey that I'm on in my life. That's a journey that I've been on for a long time. Just I want to know is, what is biblical faith? I mean, we know this. We know from Scripture faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a a feeling. Faith is not self-help. Faith is not positive thinking, although some will tell you it's just, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling, not something that you get, whether you get holy goosebumps or all this other stuff or this feeling, whatever your feeling is, but it's, it's something deeper than that. And so Jesus begins talking about this issue of what real biblical faith is. Now, there's going to be a character in the story, a character in the writings, and he's a centurion. Now, there's some things that we have got to know about centurions to understand the depths of this story. A centurion was not a Jew. A centurion was a, was a Gentile. A centurion was... Centurions were like the elite force of the Roman army. Uh, we would call them today like our special forces, our seals, our rangers. But we would look at this group of men as highly trained, high, high integrity level, uh, very brilliant, very smart, very disciplined. And Jesus begins talking about this man. And Jesus begins talking about this man's faith. And Jesus says, in all of Israel, I have not found one with greater faith. Scripture says that Jesus marveled at this man's faith. I think there's some principles I need in my life, and maybe there's some principles that you need in your life as we just open up his word and allow it to speak to us about what is real biblical faith. Luke chapter 7 Starting in verse 1, here's what the scripture says. He says, after he had finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, so Jesus is speaking, Jesus enters Capernaum. Now, Centurion, that's the guy we talked about, had a servant who was sick at the point of death. So this is a crisis. This is something that is very, very serious. His servant is sick, point of death. And then here's something interesting about that, who was highly valued to him. In other words, he had a relationship with his servant. That's unique in this culture, in this context. We'll unpack that. And so the man was very important to him. They had a deep relationship. And he says, so when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. He is the one who has built our synagogue. And Jesus went with him when he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And here may be the hinge verse of this story, verse 7. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you. But you just say the word. I just need your word. You just say the word. You just say the command. And let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority. This man understood authority. With soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. In other words, he is recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. When Jesus heard these things, he 
marveled at him. Turning to the crowd that followed him, so he's talking to the Jews. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant healed, found the servant well. You see, centurions are a central figure in the New Testament. They were part of the Roman army. They were specialized trained. But when you walk through Scripture, you realize that these people, the centurions, are significant. It was a centurion. Remember the the cross, the crucifixion? It was a centurion that recognized Christ first as as saying, He is the Son of God. A centurion uh, was the first Gentile uh, convert. Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a centurion. And it was a centurion that was the first Gentile convert. Uh, Fact is, it was in the New Testament that a centurion discovered uh, that Paul was a Roman citizen and saved Paul from death. It was a centurion that found out that the Jews were going to assassinate Paul somewhere between Jerusalem and Caesarea. And it was a centurion that stepped in and kept the, the problem or the assassination from taking place. It was a centurion that saved Paul's life. It was a centurion that, that the governor Felix had taken and said, you're going to be under this man's care. It was a centurion that, that when Paul would take his last trip to Rome, there was a sign to take Paul there. And this man ministered to him and this man helped him. But here's something so unique about this centurion. The scripture says that, that, he, that his servant was at a, a point almost at death. And then it says he highly valued him. This centurion cared about people. He didn't care about class. He didn't care about race. He didn't care, care about what side of the tracks you came from, born on. Seeing their culture. Servants were at the level of farm equipment. Really, is worse than that. fact is, they would tell you that they had three classification of agricultural tools in their day. The articulate, and so that referred to the servants. The inarticulate, and that referred to the, uh, the, the, uh, the cows and, or the ox or, the, or whatever, imp, whatever animal they used to plow field or, field or to pull a, a plow, or the mute. And that would be a shovel, that would be a plow, that would be a a farm tool. Do you realize in their culture they took servants and put them on the same level as a shovel, a plow, a tool? They were just a piece of property. They didn't even see them as being human. And this centurion had a servant that was high value to him. There's three things this morning for us just to try to grasp and try to understand in Scripture about what it means to have faith or when our faith is truly exercised. The first one is this, is that your faith is really exercised when your back is up against the wall. Our faith is exercised at a deep level when our back is up against the wall. Look at verse 2 again. Now, Centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death who was highly valued to him. In other words, that someone that this Centurion cared about a great deal was going through a a, a horrible problem. He was sick. 
Guess what? It was terminal. He wasn't expected to live. This centurion came to an end of to himself. I mean, a centurion was wealthy, and centurion uh, could pull strings. A centurion was very well connected in the society and in the community in which they lived. This man probably got every kind of medical help known to them at that time. He may have exhausted some of his finances. He may have exhausted some of his resources of, of doctors and nurses and some other things. And they still came to the point that this man was at the point of death. This morning, some of you, your back may be up against the wall. You have exhausted every means that you know. You have trusted in your intelligence. You have trusted in your, your positive thinking, your self-help. You have, you, have, you have trusted in your resources. You have trusted in everything that you have known to do. And your back is up against the wall. And like, there's just no answer. There's no, no answer to the, there's no human answer to the situation that you're going through. For some of you, you may have relationships and you may have friends that are highly valued to you. And their back is up against the wall. Can I just tell you this? Oftentimes, God will push us to get our back up, up against the wall so we'll trust him for the very first time. The Bible says that faith is a lot like a muscle. Then unless it is used, unless it is exercised, it never develops. And this centurion has exhausted all of his means. See, we, we, we're Americans. I mean, we like self-dependence, right? It's hard for us sometimes to depend on God. It's hard for us to admit that, you know what? I just can't figure it out. There's that story about that, that boy that was raised on a farm, and, and he, he loved to play on the, the roof of, the, of a tin barn that his dad had. And his dad always told him with the pitch of the roof that, son, don't play up on that roof because if you ever fall and you start sliding, you'll slide right off. You, you, there's nothing to grab onto. And the son ignored all of that, and he got on the roof one day, and he was playing on a roof, and he tripped, and he fell. And he began to slide, and he's like screaming, God, help me. You know, all those prayers, Christ's prayers, help me, God. You know, take care of this. And he got almost going over the end of the roof, and his overalls caught a nail that was stuck out, a roofing nail. And he just kind of hung there, and he realized that he's not going over. He's going to make it. And he screams up to God. He says, God, I got it from here on out. <laughs> a lot of us are like that, right? Man, in crisis, we'll cry out to him. And when things got, keep, start going our way, we'll say thanks. I got it from here, from here on out. But God wants us to trust him in the crisis. In the, James talks about this issue. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Just watch this. James begins writing about this issue of faith and this issue of trust. And it's just so interesting to me when you start walking through these verses. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, you, you count it joy? It doesn't it seem odd to you that he would tell us, just, just count it joy when you 
meet trials of various kinds. Now, we need this morning, we need to understand the difference between a trial and a problem. See, a lot of times we get those two things confused, and so we don't really understand the difference. See, the difference is this. A problem is something that you and I go through. Life is full of problems, but problems are something that you and I go through that, you know what? There's a human solution. There is a human answer. We can figure it out. But a trial is something that you and I go through that, you know what? There is no human solution. There is no answer. For instance, let's say that you found out that you, you, you owed $100,000. And you go to the bank. And you apply for a loan. And they look at your equity in your house and some of your, your, your investments and some of your collateral. And that your banker calls you back and says, you know what? You've been approved. $100,000, we'll give it to you. That's a problem. You know what a trial is? You owe $100,000. You go to the bank, you, approve, you, you apply for that loan, and your banker answers you back and says, yeah, we'll give you a loan for 50 cents. That's a trial. A trial is much different than a problem. A problem has a human answer. A problem has a solution. But a trial, a trial has no solution. And James says, you count it joy when you have a trial. You count it joy when there is no solution. You count it joy when you meet trials. In other words, you don't run from them. That's why a lot of people never develop real faith. They have spent their life cutting and running. And when problems and trials come into their life, they're trying to figure out how to get out from under it any way possible. And James says, you count it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, every trial is unique. Have you ever noticed that? The trials that you and I walk through, they're all unique. Because they got unique situations, they got unique per, uh, personalities, there's unique factors. That's what makes the Christian life such, sometimes tension. Because just when you walk through that trial and you think you've got it down, another various trial comes. Because God wants us to learn to trust Him. So he goes, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you walk through, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, so here's some things that we should know, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word steadfastness in the Greek is hupomone. Hupomone means this, the ability to remain under. It's this ability that when, when your back is up against the wall and there's this pressure that is on you, that, that you have this ability just to remain under it. You don't cut and run. You don't walk through, through the situations without him. But you just remain under. And then he goes on and he says, he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Watch this. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You want to lack nothing? You want to get to that place in your life where you lack nothing? 
It's learn how to trust me. Learn how to have faith. Learn to be willing to remain under and stay under the situation, the circumstance that God has placed you in. Many times God will place you in a situation to where your back is up against the wall. So you'll learn two things. Not only that you can tr- to trust him, but you will learn that, you know what? He can be trusted. There was no solution. I mean, look at this, Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Listen, faith is not an emotion. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not like working all this positive stuff up to get it to head your way. Faith is this. Faith is learning to take God at his word. It's learning to trust him. I mean, this, this, this centurion, he says, you know what? Just speak the word. Just speak the word that my servant will be healed. We don't need all this emotion. You don't have to come to the house. You don't, I understand authority. I get it. I get who you are. Your word is powerful. Faith. Faith is learning to trust God in the darkness. When there seems to be no solution and there seems to be no answer. You learn and I learn. You learn to trust God in the darkness. Look out when the sun comes up. Faith is like a muscle. And it is something that is developed in our, in our life. And sadly, so many times, we don't trust him until our self-dependence ends and we go through hurt and we go through pain and we go through sorrow and we go through suffering and in brokenness. God wants us to grow. And God wants us to learn to be able to trust him. You see, faith is learning to trust him. Faith is exercised when our back is up against the wall. And then here's the second thing. When our feet are on the word. When our back is up against the wall and we're in a crisis, it's exercise. And when our feet are on the word, watch this, verse 6. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not, a wor- I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, here's that verse again, therefore, I do not presume to come to you. But you just say the word. You say the word and let my servant be healed. See, faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith is not some Pollyanna faith to we just and I just we just ignore the facts. Faith is this. Faith is believing in God in spite of the facts. In spite of the situation. In spite of the situation that we think there is no solution or there's no human solution. I mean, all this centurion was looking, he wasn't looking for emotion. He wasn't looking for positive thinking. He wasn't looking for coaching. You know what he was looking for? He was looking for Jesus Christ to show up in his situation. Just speak your word. Just speak your word into my life. Just speak your word into my situation. This centurion understood... uh, Authority and understood who Christ was. Faith is not emotion and it's not a feeling. 
it doesn't matter how much we want God to do something. Until he speaks it, it's not going to happen. And until we hear from him and until we hear from his word, it's all presumption. That's why the, the centurion said, I don't presume anything until I hear from you. Lord, you just say the word. That's why I'm telling you, that's why life journaling is so important here. To where we open the word together and we read and we take his word and we apply it to our life and we apply it to our situation. Because scripture says that faith comes by hearing. Realize there's over 365 promises in scripture and I've read them. They're all good. Do you know the promises that God has for you? Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for for the and watch this in the conviction of things not seen. In essence, that's how you met Christ, right? That's how you got saved. That's how you became a Christian. However you want to phrase that. It was how. It was by faith. You didn't get to see Christ crucified on the cross. You didn't get to see him resurrected. Uh, You didn't even get to see your sins forgiven. It was how? It was by faith. When your faith is by feeling and by emotion then your life will ebb and flow with your feelings. We were singing that song, Made to Worship, and, and just in the, in, the, in the early service, I just started having this thought while Pastor Chad was leading us in our worship team in worship that, that we were made to worship. And then came that line that we are forgiven and free. And I just started having this thought. Maybe some of the reasons why it's hard for some of you to engage in worship. You don't feel forgiven. You don't know that you're forgiven. Because you think forgiven is a feeling. If you got that sin in your past, if you got that action in your past, and you don't feel forgiven, and as a result, you don't feel free to worship Him and approach Him because you're dealing with all this guilt and all this junk and all this stuff. You being forgiven is not a feeling. If you know Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have entered into a relationship with him, I'm here to tell you by the authority of his word that you are forgiven this morning whether you believe it or not. And I don't care the sin. I don't care the junk. I don't care the stuff. The fr- Listen, I'm telling you, personal story. 
the freedom for me in worship is coming out of this thought and this understanding. The more that I understand the depth, the depths of forgiveness that God has done for me, the freer I am to worship Him. Say, I cannot believe you have done this for me. I have not believed that you have taken that from me. I cannot believe that I will never answer about that sin. I cannot believe that you will not treat me as my sins deserve. I cannot believe that you have taken my sins and you have cast them as far from you as the east is from the west. Thank thank God that it wasn't north to south because north and south touch. East and west never touch. You go all the way around the globe, you'll always be going east or you'll always be going west. That means by his word, you will never meet your sins again. And when we get that, that it's not a feeling, it's not emotion. When we get that and when we understand that, then we are free to approach his throne and are free to worship him. Because guess what? There is no guilt. Romans says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You guys know this. I hate most Christian bumper stickers. It's just poor theology. And there's that bumper sticker that was so popular years back that said, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's like horrible. I'm sorry if, that, if you have that. I just thought of that. <laughs> but take it off. No. <laughs> Tell you what the Word says? God, sa- God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. Centurion, Jesus, just say the Word. You don't have to do all this emotional stuff. You say the word. Because it's not a feeling. It's the power of your word. I just need you, what the centurion said, to say I will. And that is good enough for me. True faith. It's exercised when our back is up against the wall. When our feet are standing on his word, what are you standing on this morning? And the last one is this, is when our eyes are on Jesus. Backs up against the wall, feet on his word, eyes on Christ. Now, a few years back, I took one of those defensive driving classes. And, uh, and I, I, I took the class, and I learned something so interesting that they were teaching us in the class that that whenever you and I are in an accident, whenever we uh, hit, hit black ice, hit ice, hit snow, which for a Texan, that's bad stuff. I mean, that's just not good. And you lose control, that wherever you're looking, you will naturally steer the car towards. And they said the hardest thing to do is when we lose control of a car is to force ourselves to look at the lane that we want to hold. But if you look at the ditch, you look at the fences, you look at going over an overpass or anything like that, that's where you're naturally going to steer the car to. This is true in all different areas. When you go through crisis, where you look is where you'll naturally head. We exercise our faith when we look to Christ.
This centurion, yeah, his back was up against the wall. Yeah, he exhausted all of his means. But his focus, his focus was on Christ. Romans 10, 17 says this. Faith comes from hearing. In hearing through the word of Christ. Biblical faith produces obedience in your life. Biblical faith comes out of intimacy with the Father. His word teaches. Biblical faith comes out of a relationship, intimacy with the Father. Listen, my primary call is not to be a pastor. My primary call, in fact, is your primary call, is to be in a relationship with a holy, a righteous God. And then out of that intimacy, your worship that Pastor Chad talked about, your, your ministry should be an overflow of your life. It should just be natural. Biblical faith comes out of intimacy with the Father. That's why his word is so important. That's why spending time with him is so important. Because that's when you understand what faith is. And that's where you understand who he is and and what he has done for you. That he has forgiven you and that you are free and you're free to worship him. I mean, the disciples one time asked Jesus. They they asked him a question that I was interested in. The disciples says, Lord, increase our faith. You know, Jesus turned to them and you know what he told them? Use the faith you already got. Just start appropriating the faith that you already got. Because faith is like a muscle. That the more you and I are willing to exercise it, the greater it will develop in your life. Listen, let me tell you something. This morning, for the very first time, some of you need to make a faith act. You need to take a faith step. And as for the very first time in your life, you need to become a Christian and ask him to come into your life and by faith, You need to accept him to come into your life for forgiveness of sin. That was my first faith step to where I just came to the place. I just need you. Some of you this morning, your back may be up against the wall. What are you standing on? And where are you looking? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you something this morning. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? And how does God want you to respond? Not how does Charlie want you to respond, but how does God want you to respond? Some of you this morning, you need to make your first faith step. And that is to accept, accept him and ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. Some of you this morning, you, you've made that faith step. You've made that action. And for you, your back may be up against the wall. A friend's back may be up against the wall. It's someone that you highly value. Now, let me just ask you, what are you standing on? You standing on his word? And where are you looking? Let me ask you, 
Do you feel free this morning? Let's just back into it. You feel forgiven? Some of you this morning in Christ need to understand that you are forgiven and you are free. And when we get that, we'll never live our life the same. We'll never worship him the same. 